Uh, if you want to take your, we're going to get into a few scriptures, but turn over to Philippians chapter 2 and hold that, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, let me pray for us first as we get into this. This is one of the most, uh, I think, difficult things to wrap your mind around as we've been talking about walking in steps with Jesus, and that is trying to wrap our minds around, our hearts around, that Jesus was fully human and Jesus was fully God. You ever thought about that? And uh, so that's what we're going to get into this morning. So I just pray for God's blessing and clarity. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, uh, we cannot thank you enough for the, the incredible worship. Thank you that we can be a congregation and, that encourages a young man who has uh, been serving our country, that he realizes that uh, hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away, there's brothers and sisters in Christ praying for him uh, and thanking him for what he has done. And Lord, I thank you for everyone that has come out this morning to learn more about you and what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' priceless and precious name that I pray. Amen. Jesus, fully human, fully God. One of my heroes of the faith is a gentleman who passed away a few years ago named Howard Hendricks, and this is what he said. There was no identity crisis in the life of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was, he knew where he came from, and why he was here, and he knew where he was going. And when you are liberated... And when you're free, then you can serve. That's what Jesus did for us. Every step that he took, he had this amazing, not just an ability, but this presence that he was fully human, but he was fully God. What a mystery. Now, I don't know if you like a great mystery. Uh, I did a little bit of research, and uh, the number one the number one purchased series, mystery series of all time. Anybody want to guess what it is? Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. And then there's the American Film Institute, industry, and what they do is they took the, the last 100 years of film and they look at every genre of film and they rank them and they rank the number one murder or n- number one mystery movie of all time. Ready for this? Drum roll, please. Vertigo. Now, I don't agree with that at all. Okay, did, did they not watch Psycho? Or, I mean, but anyway, that's what they voted, number one. This morning, we're going to look at what I think, if it's not the number one mystery, it is one of the great mysteries, is trying to, again, wrap our heart and mind around Jesus being fully human and fully God at the same time. Let's look at the timeline that Jesus had for us. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 through 11. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now just let that sink in, that when Jesus Christ came, He came to serve us, and he was fully human. Now, I want you to think what that means physically. He came to this world as a baby. 
his mother had the birth pains, just like the mothers here have the birth pains. He, he cried. He was wrapped in, I love the King James, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was a baby. We know that he grew up as a child, and he was a part of a big family. Uh, we know from Scripture, it's interesting that Jesus was actually uh, the oldest sibling of four brothers and two sisters. Now, imagine if Jesus was your oldest brother. Imagine that. Isaiah said that he was a man of sorrows, and I truly believe, even in his childhood, that Jesus faced many sorrows. And what a lot of scholars believe, and I, I believe the same, is I believe the reason that Jesus didn't even begin his public ministry until he's around 30 was because he was the patriarch of the family, and I think Joseph actually died when he was a teenager. Because once Jesus went to the temple, you don't read anything else about Joseph. So imagine the pressure that he had as a human to be the oldest sibling, taking care of his mom, taking care of his family. Matter of fact, uh, one scholar shared this, and I thought it was interesting. He said one of the brothers of Jesus who struggled was James. So when you read the book of James, and James talks a lot about what? Talking and about the damage of hurting others. I wonder if James reflected on, you know what? I hurt my older brother. I said some things about my brother that I, I would do anything if I could just take those things back. Jesus was a part of a big family. And then in Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor of God and favor of people. Physically, Jesus went through a lot for us. And we need to understand the human side of Jesus. Years ago, and some of you probably had the same experience, uh, how many of you went to the movie when it first came out that first week, The Passion of the Christ? Anybody remember that experience? Marie and I, I remember when we went to this theater, it was in Lincoln, Illinois, I went with two very good friends, and I remember walking in the theater before the next movie when, that we were going in and watching the expression of people coming out of the theater. And I remember almost this sickening feeling in my stomach, like, I don't know if I want to see this. And I remember as I sat there before the movie even started, there was a person behind me, and they started eating popcorn. And you could almost get the sense of, this isn't a place to eat popcorn. Because they put it away, boy, as soon as the music started, I mean, you could just sense it. And as that movie, as heavy as that movie was, there was a scene in there that honestly was precious for me and priceless. And so I would like to just show that right now. I love the fact, and sometimes I need to close my eyes and realize that we put Jesus as we should on a pedestal, but sometimes we don't realize he lived and he breathed and he, he hurt just like we hurt, physically. Here's the other thing, emotionally, think what Jesus went through that we go through. Uh, we know that Jesus emotionally engaged with people. He went where people lived. When he recruited those first disciples, where did he go? where they worked, and where they lived. And so when he said, hey, would you like to be fishers of men? He went where they fished. So emotionally, Jesus was engaged by going to people, and I love that about Jesus. Emotionally, Jesus laughed. Matter of fact, I love this scripture when it talks about the sheer joy that Jesus had when he sent the disciples out, and they came back, and he realized they're getting it. They're getting it. And as he said, Jesus was filled with joy. He cried. These weren't just spiritual tears. These were heartfelt, emotional tears. He felt deep, deep 
compassion for others. And he was amazed. Twice we read that phrase, Jesus was amazed. You know, both times it dealt with faith. One time Jesus said he was amazed how little faith people had. And one other time he made an example. Someone said, I'm amazed how great this faith is. Jesus felt the emotion of being amazed. And let's be honest, if you think about it, he experienced the excruciating pain, the physical pain on the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to think about what Jesus went through, this tension between emotion and physical pain, all the way leading up to the cross. No sleep, abandoned by your friends, the burden of sins, the entire world on your shoulders. Uh, how many of us would have gone through what Jesus went through on the cross? When I had my appendix taken out, um, I remember the doctor uh, said, now, here's the deal. you got this little button, and that button means morphine. And if you really are in pain, hit the button. Now, don't be a hero. And I'm like, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> and I mean, he barely got out the door, and I'm like, you know, I'm just hitting the button. Marie's like, you're kind of a wimp. And I'm like, indeed I am. I don't care. But I think of Jesus, I'm like, physically. We don't think enough about physically what Jesus went through on the cross. But he did that for all of us, all the human side of Jesus. There, Augustine said this, if you diminish his humanity, then you diminish what he did for us. And if you make him less than human, then our salvation is less than complete. And that's true. If you remove Jesus from the human side, like you just put Jesus over here. Jesus is this sacred deity. But you remove what he did for us physically, then you're not accepting the fullness of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for us, the human side of Jesus is amazing, and it matters. You may be sitting here today, and so here we go, another sermon, and he's going to land on Jesus. All preachers land on Jesus. But does this apply to me? And here's why this applies to you. Maybe you're at a job that you can't stand. Maybe you're in a relationship void of meaning and purpose. Maybe you're dealing with bills and you may be facing bankruptcy. Or like Neil said, maybe your closet is just so stuffed, it's just frustrating every day. Maybe there's tension in your family. But you need to understand that Jesus Christ is here for you today. He's been where you've been and he knows what you're going through right now. It matters that Jesus was fully human. He understands what you've been through. That means everything. When you sit down with a good friend, a friend that doesn't lecture you, but a good friend, doesn't it help as you're sharing your heart when you know that friend has been through what you've been through? You ever been with somebody and they use that annoying statement, oh, I know what you're going through. And you're like, no, you don't. You don't know what I'm going through. Don't even say you know what I'm going through. I'm a little aggravated with that sometimes, to be honest with you. We need to understand how real it is that Jesus does understand what we're going through. Years ago, uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, and why I did this, I'll never know, uh, a buddy of mine said, hey, you ought to apply for this weekend youth ministry job. It's about two hours away. I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Now, again, it wasn't like I was even a mature 19-year. You know what I'm saying? I know you have a hard time believing that, but I... I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Give me the address. And so I show up at this church, and there's all the elders, and I walk in. Uh, and that was back in the day you had to wear a suit. So I had a suit on. 
uh, if you can imagine that. So anyway, I walk in, and they said, you have a resume. I'm like, what, what's a resume? And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. That, that should have been a tip-off, probably not ready for the job. So anyway, they said, so what qualifications do you have to be a youth minister? And I'm like, well, I like kids, uh, love Jesus. That was it. I mean, that's a, that's a great answer, you know. And, the, and I walked out, and I looked at, I had a couple of friends with me, and I'm like, there's no way they're going to hire me. But I got a free meal, and they gave me gas money. I mean, that was a pretty good day. And they called me back in, and they said, we think you'd be a really good youth minister. We want you to be with us. And I'm like, why, why would you hire me? You know? Oh, by the way, to let you know, they also fired me about 13 months later. Yeah, that's a whole other chapter in my life. But anyway, uh, so a, a few months in, uh, this gal I was dating, it wasn't Marie, I think her name was Fair Fawcett. But anyway, a gal I was dating um, went down and, and, uh, and, you know, stayed at someone's house. And I was just showing her what I did as a, as a youth minister. And we're having a picnic, and uh, I hand her the church bulletin, because my name's on the front of it. I'm pretty impressed with myself. And she looks at it and opens the bulletin, and she said, oh, that's nice. And I said, oh, what's, what's nice? She said, you're preaching tonight. And I go, huh? Now, this is 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock church starts, and I'm like, that's not even funny. And so she's like, you know, you're preaching tonight. I'm like, I got nothing. She goes, you're at Bible college. I'll go, I don't know how to write a sermon. I mean, I don't even, I don't know what I'm doing. She said, we, you need to write something down. I'm like, so I remember how terrorizing those next couple of hours were. And I remember through the suit back on, and I remember walking up there. And have you ever done this? As I'm walking up to the pulpit, I'm praying, oh, Lord Jesus, come now. You know, just, <laughs> just come right now. And I get up there, and about four or five, I'd love to say four or five minutes in, the spirit moved, and no, four or five minutes in, I'm like, I want to die. And I'm thinking, Lord, I've got nothing, I've got nothing. And then it's, all of a sudden, I had this thought, all these thoughts going through, it's like, talk about something you know about. Talk about, you know, like, abort, abort the mission, you know. And I'm like, the only thing I know about is how I came to Jesus and my mom. And so right in the middle of this deal, I said, let me tell you about my mom which connected with nothing. And I said, if I have to be honest with you, uh, my mom and my sister, uh, the two most incredible women in my life, had more influence in my life than anyone. And here's what I learned from my mom. So I, I rambled for about 10 minutes, prayed, uh, and I got to be honest, I got out of there as quick as I could. Got in my car. I barely got the girl in the car. I'm like, get it, seriously, get in the car. And, she, it, and she's like, oh, that wasn't bad. I'm like, that was a train wreck. So anyway, get in, get in the car, drive. Uh, and this is back before cell phones and all this. So it's a weekend gig. A week goes by. Friday, I come back to this church, walk in. Minister said, uh, John, can I have a word with you? Here we go. You know, so I walk in and he said, um, uh, <laughs> interesting sermon. He goes, did you have a lot of time to prepare? I did have a lot of time, but I, I felt I let the spirit move on my mind. He knew I was lying. You know, so anyway... Uh, he said, um, John, why did you leave so quick? When it was over, I'm like, were you there? And he goes, hey, we're all going to have Sundays. When it, you walk away and go, well, I just wasn't, that wasn't good. I mean, it was off. He said, but don't ever leave early. You're not there to preach. That's not why you're, you're there for the people. So he said, let me tell you about somebody who was there. So there's a young man who had a terrible auto accident about a year ago. 
And they really think that that accident, it was his attempt to commit suicide. And a family has taken this guy in, and he would not come to church. Too old-fashioned. Too old. And they said, uh, hey, there's this young guy uh, that I think you'll like him. He's not like anybody you've ever met. Not very prepared, <laughs> but I think you'll like him, and just come check it out. And they said, when you talked about your mom, it hit him so hard because he was raised by his mom. Abusive father. That's why he never wanted to get near the church. And he really wanted to talk about Jesus. And he really wanted to talk to you. Now, where were you? And I'm like, uh, I was getting away from the church as fast as I could. And he said, oh, okay. Well, maybe you've learned a valuable lesson. And I did. And I realized as I was thinking about that these last few weeks, I thought, you know, what, what lesson I learned is that we're all busted and hurt, aren't we? When somebody begins to share their story, that's why I love the yes to love stories. When I share their stories, I'm like, oh, wow, I, was, I thought I was the only one that ever went through something like that. And this person has survived. This person's moving forward. This person's allowed Jesus Christ to just come alive in them. Your life, my life, our pain, our, our sorrows, our struggles, just like Jesus connects with others because they can identify with that pain. That's what Jesus did. He didn't run from the pain. He went through the pain for us. It is so important that we realize the human side of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, starting in verse 8. And he put everything under his feet. And putting everything under them, Jesus left nothing that is not subject to them. You at present, we do not see everything subject to them. And I love this. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, and now crowned him with glory and honor. And let me drop down to verse 14. Since the children had flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, Satan. Did you catch that? Because of his humanity, his brutal death on the cross, there was a purpose for that. So that we cannot sit back and go, Jesus doesn't know what I'm going through, but that we can say Jesus knows everything that I'm going through. A professor by the name of Bruce Ware, it's a little lengthy, but just hang in there, I think sums this up perfectly. He says this, So many people minimize or demean the obedience of Christ by saying, Of course he obeyed. He was God. He had God's nature in him. He had no choice. Scripture does not let us draw this conclusion. It presents Christ as a man who faced every temptation and succeeded not because he relied on his divine nature, but because he relied upon the word, prayer, and spirit, and he succeeded all the way to the cross, even death on the cross. You understand what he's saying is that people, if they don't realize and come to the understanding of the humanity of Jesus, they have a tendency to say, well, yeah, any time that Jesus struggled, he could pull out the God card. And he could say, God, just remove me from this struggle. And then what happens is then we separate ourselves from Jesus. We say, well, Jesus really doesn't understand what I'm going through. He's just a million miles away. You know, he's on all the cards at Christmas. He's, he's so far away, I can't have this personal relationship. 
And God said, no, 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 no. You can have a personal relationship because not only has he been through it, he wants to go through it with you. Don't lean on Jesus and say, well, yeah, he, he took the easy route because he used the God card. No way. Matter of fact, if Jesus were to open up a toolbox on how he connected with God, how did he connect with God? Through the word, through prayer, through spirit. Guess what? We have the same tools. You want to draw closer to God and draw closer to Christ? Get in his word. Get on your knees. Allow God's spirit to move. That hasn't changed. Over 2,000 years, that hasn't changed. And guess what? It's not going to change. Now, Hebrews 4.15 says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced those, all the same testings that we've been through, yet he did not sin. I want to close with um, uh, an illustration. And I, um, I was surfing a few weeks ago, uh, preparing for the message on YouTube, and I just put in uh, Humanity of Jesus, and there was a, a Baptist minister, and he talked about the importance of colors in Scripture. I had never really thought of it this way. So anytime in Scriptures, as you're reading through, and the color red appears, what does that usually mean? Anyone? Yeah, what was that? Yeah, Jesus said his, yeah, yeah, his blood, his flesh. What he, okay, what, anything else? And his words, I love that. So when you see red letter, man, that's good. When you see the red letters, that's Jesus' words, okay? Anything else that comes to your mind when you see that letter red? Okay. Ultimately, it's flesh, blood, and sacrifice. When you see red throughout Scripture, it's the flesh. It's the physical side of Jesus, and we should never forget that. Okay, what about this? Anytime in Scripture that you uh, specifically see blue, anybody want to guess what blue stands for? Interesting. Spirit. Now, remember the world that they lived in? The world wasn't round. I mean, when they looked not like Bloomington where every sky is gray in January, when they saw a crystal blue sky and they could visualize beyond the crystal blue skies, you know what they visualized? Spirit. There's something beyond the skies. God's there. I can't explain it, but God is there. Now, here's something else that I think is fascinating if you think about it. And for some of you, that's probably your favorite color. It's when you put those together. How many of you like the color purple? Anyone? Good. Three of you. Okay, so. Anybody want to guess what purple stands for anytime you read it through Scripture? It's loyalty. Now, here's something to think about. Uh, when, the holy, uh, when the high priest went into the temple once a year, it's called the Day of Atonement, and there was this amazing, beautiful curtain. And that curtain was anywhere from 8 to uh, 12 inches thick. It was this tapestry woven together. So when the curtain tore, when Jesus died, that was a big deal. And all scholars say that there are three primary colors woven into the tapestry of the curtain. You probably guess what those three colors are. Red, blue, and purple. And this week, I have a challenge for you. All week long, when you see the color purple, I just want you to thank God. And there may be something very specific God lays on your heart. But just start looking for purple. Now, I know what you're thinking. John, it's January. I'm not going to see purple. Here's the deal. You're going to see it. 
last couple of days, I've intentionally set aside time and looking around for purple, and I have found it. Uh, I found some obnoxious houses that I'm like, I can't believe that's purple, but good. God, thank you that it's not my house. You know, so, but it's all around us. This happened last night. I was preaching at uh, Bedford, and, um, and this is like almost 8 o'clock, and I'm walking out, and it was an older gentleman who was walking back in, and he put his arm on my shoulder, and he turned me, and he goes, look at the sky. And there was this beautiful splotch of purple. And I said, hey, old man, I don't get it. No, I didn't say that. And I was like, that's amazing. So this week, think about the flesh of Jesus. Think about the spirit of Jesus. But think about this. He's my king. I can approach the king. I don't have to make appointments. This isn't like a high priest that you, you feel like, I, I can't approach the high priest. No, no, it isn't like that at all. Jesus said, I'm the high priest who bled for you, who died for you, and I love you. And every time you come to me, I always have time for you. Always. That's our king. That's who we love. That's the Savior that did it for us. The human side of Jesus and the spirit side of Jesus to become the servant king for all of mankind.